0: Please stand, if you're able, for a reading from God's Holy Word. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Samuel 17, 38 through 50. Please read with me the verses in bold. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, For I have not tested them so David put them off then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine and the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him and when the Philistine looked and saw David he disdained him for he was but a youth ready and handsome in appearance When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning. Good to be back. If you have ever seen an episode of The Veggie Tales, you may be more familiar, or at least not familiar with the well known tale of David and the giant pickle. If you're not sure what Veggie Tales are, uh, they are animated Bible stories told, and as you, have may, as you may have guessed, uh, by vegetables and fruit. Uh, my kids grew up reading the Veggie Tales Bible and watching the hilarious the Veggie Tales short episodes and movies. Uh, One such episode, Dave and the Giant Pickle, is a retelling of the David and Goliath story. Dave is tending to the sheep with his seven brothers when his father comes rushing to to tell them that the Philistines are attacking. Three of the sons of Jesse, Eliab, who is the oldest, Abinadab and Shammah uh, uh, follow King Saul into battle, and then there's little Dave, uh, too small and hidden behind the sheep, who in the Veggie Tales version attempts to tie along with his older brothers, chanting, we must save Israel, to which his father stops him and says, it's very nice that you want to help. But saving a country is a big thing. You're a little guy. Big people do big things, and little people do little things. So stay with the sheep. And you might hear uh, Dave uh, go into song. And I'm going to attempt here real quick to show off my voice. (laughs) They're big. I'm little. They go, I twiddle. Why can't little boys do big things, too? Woo! Well, if you're not familiar with the Tale story, the battle lines had been drawn. The Philistines challenged the Israelites by asking that they each send out their strongest man their champion, as a representative of their nation to fight each other. And whichever champion loses their country will be the slaves of the other. And when the Philistines bring forth their champion, Goliath, who is a giant of a man, or perhaps a giant pickle, the Israelites, terrified by the giant, run away and hide for Forty days, that is until Dave who comes out to the battlefield to bring his brothers their pizza. Uh, there you go, I summarized the whole VeggieTales episode. But Goliath, the Philistine's champion, both curses Israel and her God. And the text tells us that Goliath is six cubits in a span, whatever that means. He's somewhere between seven to nine feet tall. And some say maybe even as as tall as 10. The passage goes to great length to give us great detail of Goliath's armor. He's outfitted with a bronze helmet, a coat of armor weighing nearly 125 pounds. He carries a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders and carries a heavy-duty spear. To give you a little bit of a backstory, just a few chapters before Israel had defeated the Philistines by the hand of Jonathan, which is Saul's uh, son, King Saul's son. And so you can imagine that by the time we come to our text in chapter 17, the Philistines seem eager not only to regain the military dominance that they once held over Israel, but their sense of pride as well. Each army sets up about 15 miles southwest of Jerusalem, on opposite sides of the Elah Valley, on the two sides of the mountain, with a brook between them. The standoff continues for 40 days, and each side only engaging in a war of words, and according to the text, the Philistines more than the Israelites. And from what I can gather from the theologians, more knowledgeable of the terrain and the landscape for this battle remind us that the Philistines employed a great military strength They had uh, steel as well as bronze as their instruments of war. They had chariots, but these chariots were not all-terrain, four-wheel-drive vehicles. It's very hard to fight in in rough terrain like a mountainside. So you can imagine the hesitancy of the Philistines engaging in a battle with the Israelites. There's fear on both sides, the Philistines and the Israelites. And so in the face of impending battle, the Israelites fear because there's this giant of a man, Goliath, and David at that point comes to remind them what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David also says to Saul, the king of Israel, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. David makes his case before Saul. In verse 34, David says to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. and When there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. David is willing to do whatever uh, he can, something that neither Saul or any other soldier in Israel's army is willing to do. He's willing to fight Goliath. So David tries on the armor of Saul, the king, and for whatever reason, David says to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David takes it off, and instead chooses five smooth stones from the brook, puts them in his shepherd's pouch, with a sling in his hand, approaches the Philistine... And you know the rest of the story. Dave, with the sling, takes down the giant. That's the story. Now, many of us know this story well. I think we do. If you have ever been inside the the four walls of a church, this may be one of those stories that you've heard over and over again. Perhaps these are stories that we tell to our children and children's Bibles. David and Goliath. There's a story of Daniel and the lion's den that's also a familiar children's story. I'm not sure, again, how these stories get chosen for kids' Bibles, (laughs) but the story of Daniel and the lion's den is also one that we may know pretty well. How about Jonah and the big fish? About how Jonah is set off to, uh, is supposed to be towards Nineveh and yet chooses to go to Tarshish instead and gets swallowed by a big fish? We're familiar with stories like that, or with Moses. you know Moses? you know Moses, and the, and the crossing of the Red Sea, he divides the Red Sea into two, and the people of Israel cross it on dry ground. Now we've become so familiar with these stories that I think one, we already know the story and have these preconceived ideas that we fail to really hear the story. Two. Sometimes when we know these stories so well, we forget to—we tend to forget the points of these stories. Now you see, we can make major errors by not stressing the proper significance of a biblical narrative. Let me ask you: How many sermons have you heard about facing the giants in your life? That God will give you the kind of courage that you need, the kind of faith. To defeat your Goliaths, there may be the giants of financial stress, the giants of addiction or greed or jealousy or anger, the Goliaths of uh, difficult bosses or perhaps unruly neighbors, and whatever the giants name, with courage and faith like that of David, we too can defeat them and find victory in the Lord. Now, in some ways, there's nothing wrong with that message. Oftentimes, God gives us supernatural faith to overcome life's most difficult circumstances. But my friends, we may need to rethink that in, our, in light of this passage. This, in my reading, does not seem to be the point of our text today, as much as I'd like to think of an immediate application from great tales like this, I also think that there's great danger to attempting a convenient connection between the story of the Old Testament, to real-life situations we find ourselves in if we truly thought about the point of this text, we might say it's not about having spiritual perspective to shoot down the giants of our life. We might say it's not about having practical faith in the living God, or we might say it's not about trusting God's power to defeat our enemies, whatever form we find them. We might say something like, it's not about using the weapons of God instead of the weapons of this world. We might say, it's not about trying our hardest not to run away when the Goliaths stand before us. Now, as I mentioned, these are not bad messages. These are not bad things when we try to apply those things to our life. But the question here, as we look at this text in 1 Samuel 17, is what is the point? You see, we cannot start with the question, why does God put giants in our path? Or even, what lesson is there for me in this Bible passage? I'm guilty of that. I'll open up a text of Scripture and say, God, what are you saying to me now? Instead of starting with those questions, instead, what if we ask the question, what does this story, this event that actually happened in a moment in history long ago, for what reason did God purposely include this story to tell us? About him? What if we started our questions about any of the Bible stories that we read? Instead of asking ourselves questions about how does this pertain to me, perhaps if we ask the question how does this pertain to you? We are in a new series that uh, Pastor Brad kicked off last week that we're calling After God's Own Heart. And again, the real question that, again, as we ask ourselves about a story like this one, about a youth and a giant, about the Israelites and the Philistines, about a battle between two nations, is the question, what does this story teach us about the heart of God? Isn't this the point? Otherwise, every story in the Bible becomes just a moral lesson. How to improve. How to be a better person. How to be a better you. When I read through that, when I ask myself those kinds of questions, there's no gospel in the stories. Just self-improvement. I think every story it's critical that we find and identify the main character of the story. Theologian Dale Ralph Davis says this in his commentary, we can make major errors by not not stressing the proper accent of a biblical narrative. If we don't listen to this text, then we'll end up bringing bringing in all the junk about being courageous in the face of your Goliaths, whether the bully down the street for for primarily uh, Sunday school kids, or for or everyone's preoccupation, one's a poor self-image. We must protect ourselves from such deafness to the text. And here is what I think: uh, where uh, the whole whole book is it's worth its money. In uh, in this one line, one such protection is to know where a narrative talks about Yahweh. That is liable to be where the accent falls. So profound. one such protection is to note where a narrative talks about God. And I, I share this uh, in good conscience. I share this with you. Uh, having preached those sermons about David being the underdog, about being, um, about being small in the face of, of giants that when God empowers you, you can conquer any enemy you pray for any obstacle in your path. Well, my friends, as I read through this again, I'm reminded that this story and every story is about God. When I look at this short passage, actually it's a long passage, in chapter 17 and verse 26, David said to the men who stood by him, David knew this. David knew that he was not the main character of the story. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies? And again, here's the main character, the armies of the living God. In verse 36, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has Defy the armies of the living God. Or in, ver, or, in a, or in verse 37, David said, the Lord who delivered me, he acknowledged that it wasn't by his power or, power or by his might that he conquered the lion and the bear. He says, the Lord who delivered me would deliver me from the hand of this Philistine, In verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, or javelin for that matter. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Again, here David acknowledges that. Again, you might get the notion that that David is the main character, and and David knows it. But he doesn't, and he isn't. And David acknowledges the, the true main character The one to whom all glory belongs to, the one who orchestrates all things, the one who is sovereign and control of every situation, the one who is bigger than the, the Goliath of the Philistines, and the God who's bigger than any nation, and any person, and any obstacle, and any hindrance, any giants, that God is bigger and is the main character of these stories. If we ever get the wrong idea, that the main players are Goliath or the Philistines, or perhaps that it's Saul or the Israelites, or even David himself. I might argue that we have been gravely mistaken. All these years I've been looking at this text and finding this wonderful story of the underdog, the dark horse, the long shots, betting on the one who has the outside chance was really not it at all. It was about the real story, the real hero of the story, just like every other story that you find in the scriptures. My friends, it's a story about God. Just as all the other stories laden throughout the page of the the Bible are also about God and His gracious love towards us, so also is this one. The story of David and Goliath, as misleading as the title might be, is a story of God's faithfulness to his people. It's a story of God's compassion to his people. The story of God's promises to his people. It's a story of the love of God for his people. Again, it shines through the pages of Scripture over and over and over again. Because you see, the principal person... The main character, the hero of Israel in the narrative, and all others like it, is God himself. God is the hero of this story, and he's the hero of every story. At the end of this story, we learn that it's not about the size of the enemy. It's not about the passion of the boy with the sling. Or about how well he slung that I feel like it's a, it's a tongue twister, slung that sling, <laughs> that rock. It was the Lord who delivered miraculously once again. It wasn't Moses who tapped his staff and, and allowed the seas to be open. It wasn't Daniel who closed the mouths of the lions in the den. It wasn't Joseph who had four thoughts of how he would protect his family from the famine. Every story, my friends, every story in the scriptures, not even Jonah, who orchestrated this whole thing, he fell into the ocean, got swallowed by a big fish, and somehow came out the other end. My friends, this one, too, is no different. It's miraculous just the same, because David is a young boy, and the Bible tells us clearly that all he has, and at the end of the story, in verse 49 to verse 50, he had no sword, And the Bible tells us clearly that he had five smooth stones in the middle of this valley of a a brook that he gathered from there. This is a miraculous situation. God intervened. And the only way that Israel is saved is because God intervenes and he continues to intervene. It is a complete interruption of what should have normally happened. David should have not been on the field as Israel's champion. The giant should not have been killed by a rock launched by a kid. God intervened and saved David's life and sustained the covenant that God made with his people. That's why I think the words, the living God, is repeated over and over again in this short text. Because doesn't having a living God make a difference in any of this? From this story, we learned that God is at work to keep his promises. He works in us to show off his glory through us. The story of David and Goliath is not for the kids to learn about heroics of an underdog. For my friends, there is no underdog in this story. God is the hero. My friends, he's always been the hero. God is the hero of this story and every story. And maybe the point of application is we look at our own life and we say, yes, I've mustered enough courage or mustered enough strength to pull myself up from the bootstraps and make of myself something. What I earn, I've, I've made with our, my, my, two hand, my own two hands. But my friends, you and I both know, if we were honest with ourselves, we would know That the real hero of the story has always been God. The one who rescued us when we were in the depths of the pits. I mean, think about those times, not in in your highest highs, but in your lowest lows. Those times we think about, God has always been there. And yes, God has been there in the highest of highs. But again, we we think about these stories and we realize that God is the one who, who rescues us. That it is not by our might or by our hands or by our strength or by our courage or by our faith. And again, I know lots of folks like to emphasize, again, the the size of our faith. But my friends, you and I both know that even when we have little faith, God uses that. God is the hero. Number two... I see David. Again, I know that uh, God calls David a man after his own heart, right? A after, man after God's own heart. And I love that. But you look at the life of David, and David's life was a mess. <laughs> uh, you can read through the pages of Scripture, and I know Jeff Lynch just uh, talked about his confession of sin in Psalm 51. That's so beautifully penned, and it's David uh, with a contrite spirit, a contrite heart coming before God. When Nathan the prophet approaches him, he realizes that he's at fault. Um, and I look at David and you can say the heroics of David in, in 1 Samuel 17, but look at the, the longevity of, uh, of his story. And you know that God uses flawed people. If you've ever wondered whether God can use you for his glory, You don't need to look any further than the story of David and Goliath. Yes, David was young, and he wasn't a warrior but a shepherd. It can be an encouragement to us that God works through flawed people. God works through uh, little people. God works through unqualified people. Our best moments in service of God are are doubtlessly tainted with selfish motives. None of us have arrived. None of us are completely sinless. None of us are perfect. And all the more, we look at the story and see the wonder that God would use little people, that God would use unqualified people with selfish motives So it is with David, it is mentioned in the verses about his killing of lions and bears and that his escape was due to the Lord's deliverance of him from these wild animals and the same deliverance he believes from the hand of the Philistines. And he goes uh, on to describe again his escapes, not to luck or even to skill or even to audacity or to great faith, but he says, Yahweh delivered me. And David stresses that Yahweh does not say by the instruments of human power, that through the weakness, but through the weakness of his servants. And Goliath, again, comes to uh, this battlefield with, with a sword and spear and javelin, but before the day is over, everyone will know that it is God who saves. And everyone knows, and again, the point of the story here is everyone knows that David is weak. It's a theme that builds, again, through the scriptures, uh, through this particular passage, actually, in 1 Samuel 17. And again, I love it because, again, uh, this commentary I was reading says... Uh, Eliab, his oldest brother, right, uh, says, David, you're a pain. Have you ever got a chance to see through uh, the the story? Read through 1 Samuel 17 and look at Eliab's response to to seeing David in the battlefield, right, or David bringing pizza to his brothers. He says, you're a pain. And anybody who has a younger brother or sister knows exactly what uh, Eliab is talking about. (laughs) Eliab, his brother, says, David, you're a pain. Saul, the king of Israel, says, you're green. Look at you, you're young, you're inexperienced and unqualified. And Goliath, again, as, uh, as um, the commentator says, Israel's, uh, Goliath, who's Israel's enemy, says, you're puny. My friends, our inadequacy, in fact, might be precisely our qualification for serving God. For you and I know that his strength is made in our weakness. Lastly, David points us to Christ. David's words and deeds set him apart. In contrast to Saul who refused to fight, David proves himself to be a worthy successor to the throne of Israel. He does not hesitate to run into battle and defend Israel showing he's better than Saul and worthy to rule Israel. David relies on God and helps uh, to save Israel in an unexpected way. And this is significant because in this, David also functions as the type of the future anointed one, Jesus, who will also save Israel in an unexpected way. Both David and Jesus are Israel's Messiah. Both their victories are against all odds, yet spectacular. And so you see several things happening. David conquers the Philistines just like the Messiah would defeat the enemy. David will rule in Jerusalem just like the Davidic king's rule of Jesus will never end. The anointed one defends the poor, delivers the powerless, destroys the oppressor. He is the inheritor of David's covenant and all his Davidic promises. We know that David was Jesse's son. The Messiah will be, Brandt, will be a, a Will be Jesse's son, and again it says of Jesus the same thing that Jesus uh, will be born of the branch of Jesse's stump. Uh, David was a shepherd, so the Messiah will also shepherd Israel, and all of these different ways we so look at the look at the person of Christ coming uh, in the New Testament. Again, David serves as a type; it's just a little picture, it's a little glimpse, it's a shadow of what is to come, and David becomes that shadow or a type of the true Jesus, of the true David, of the right and true king of Israel who will reign forever. My friends, we're celebrating not David, but the the son of David. We're not celebrating the heroics of a young boy, but we're celebrating the the heroics of a man who came to earth and became like one of us and died on a cross and conquered the, the grave and conquered sin once for all. Like I said, every message, every book of the Old and New Testament points to Christ, the Christ who is our deliverer, the one who is our king, the one who came to save us and to be our king forever. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you for the gospel story, even, in the, even tucked away in the Old Testament story of David and Goliath, the gospel story that tells us that, that you came to save us when we could not save ourselves. God, we thank you for the true hero, the one who gave his life so that we might have life. This we pray in Jesus' name.